Welcome to episode 117 of the Ninja Mountain Podcast, the podcast for artists and by artists. Ninja Mountain is a loose collective of fantasy sci-fi artists who like to talk about the art and business of freelance illustration. Ninja Mountain is a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. You know, and I was just recently on that site, and it looks like it was taken over by some um, Asian company. It's weird. Yep. I, it's All the text is in, in, in an Asian language, which I do not recognize. I'm guessing it is Chinese. And oh. uh, I don't know what the story is behind that. So clicking on that said link might bring you to some place rather exotic uh, at the moment. Um, I don't know what the story is, but I'll see if I can find out later. But uh, that aside, we have a, a small concern of panelists today. Just Sokar, Miles. At goreblimey.com. And myself, Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. Uh, our rest of our gang are pretty much heads down, working hard on this fine Sunday afternoon. And uh, I, I had a, I had an, I think I'll start us off. I, I had a brief encounter with a um, fellow illustrator, young a student, young man, who just produces, who's producing his own comic book, and he's released the first issue of said comic, and is just about to release the second issue. And I saw, I met him at, just recently, I just saw him at a, um, I was uh, addressing a, a classroom of, um, of fantasy you know, illustration students at my local art school. And I was giving presentations on character and creature design. And this young man approached me before the class began and uh, asked if I would like, you know, in the past I've shown some support of his book. Uh, of his efforts, at least. I was unfamiliar pretty much with the book in question. And he asked if I wanted to buy a copy, which I, I didn't have any money on me, and I, I don't really buy comics these days. I don't have much disposable income, but I had to I, I point that out to him. And But he's willing to send me a PDF to look at it. But the thing that turned me off uh, a little bit was he, he trotted out the phrase, support your local artist. And Maybe that on the surface that's not such a bad thing, you know. I mean, it, but it sounds like a, it sounds vaguely like a bumper sticker, and not much of an elevator pitch when it comes to selling somebody something that you created. Yeah, it sounds like he wants you to buy the book, not because it's a good book and you would enjoy it, but um, because you feel sorry for your impecunious local artist. Yeah, I, I just thinking, you know. Have some confidence in your product, bro. <laughs> and, and that, and just, I mean, don't assume that you're, that something you, his book had a rather specific um, kind of a reader, I feel. And it wasn't necessarily something, uh, becoming more familiar with the premise of his book is not something I'm particularly, it wasn't really aimed at me mm. in terms of interest. Mm-hmm. And I think it's when you, it's obviously not necessarily general readership. It must be some a certain kind of reader is going to approach this with the right spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, I might not be that person. And when you try to sell me something, not because you think I will like it, but because you wish for me to support your um, your ad, your I guess your advocation as an artist. Um. I don't know. I mean, is that is that something we really want to? That's something you really want to embrace when it comes to trying to sell something that you've created. Not really. I mean, uh, when, I I always think um, when when it comes to sales, you should be uh, the 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 better, you know, the more confidence you have in your product, the more you let the product do the talking, um, rather than you know appealing to people's 
sense of uh, community or pity or, or what have you. Um, and and when, when the first thing out of somebody's mouth in a sales pitch is, um, I really need money or um, support such and such, um, unless it's a charity, which is something entirely different, um, my, my reaction is to think, well, um, why aren't you, why aren't you telling me why I want this product rather than giving me moral reasons that I should be supporting your endeavor? I mean, you know, if I, if I had a comic book, I wanted to sell you, uh, Jeremy or, or anybody, anybody else, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, you know, support your local Sokar Miles. I'd, uh, you know, sort of open. I'd open up the book, and I'd be like, "Look at this art. This is this is a comic I'm working on, um, and uh, here's what it's about. It's about um, I don't know some guy who has these giant, desperate fights every night in his sleep, and every issue is devoted to him fighting mm-hmm. some completely bizarre opponent. And here it is. And check out these awesome fighting sequences." Uh, yeah, so if you're into fighting, buy my comic. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not a real comic, by the way. I, I, no, I, I know. <laughs> oh, actually, that, that describes <laughs> most comic books. <laughs> so yeah, you're actually being very descriptive of the genre. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was kind of being sarcastic. <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah, I was kind of joking around. Cause, um, yeah. See, I was picking up what you were putting down there, Selkar. I'm, I'm on the same page with you. Yeah, totally, I mean, totally. I've been trying to like expose what the comic is about and be like, so if you're into fighting and you're into <laughs> awesome sequences of action that are awesome and you like my art and you want to spend some money, then buy my awesome comic. See, that's but- the elevator pitch that might have gotten me to crack open a wallet. Because here, it's going after a particular readership. This is a book that he thinks will excite that reader. And they'll be rewarded for purchasing it, mm-hmm. and and but not not necessarily on some spiritual level. Plus, you've got to show the art. You've got mm-hmm. to show the art. You can't you can't just say, "Oh, do you want to buy a copy?" and then not show the person the art. That's like WTF, man. I want to. I mean, you have to at least you have to at least be like. Um, here's here's a link to a website where you can see the art, or you know, this is the age of Wi-Fi everywhere. Whip out your iPad and be like, and this is the art. Is it not awesome? Are you not amazed? I mean, you have to, you have to, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to be selling stuff on the fly, um, you need to have, you, you need to have your um, your sales material on you at all times to try and. Uh, if you're if you're going to be doing your pitch to people, otherwise it's, it's like you're saying, okay, I'm selling something sight unseen, which I want you to buy out of pity. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I think. I mean, even even I think, you know, like for instance, you don't have Marvel Comics doesn't walk up to people at the convention and say support Marvel Comics Excelsior and then walk <laughs> off. You know, that's not that's not their message. You know, no, I they, mean, presumably they've got you know a huge poster of well people fighting (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not you know it's it's just seems to me like you're 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 trying to appeal to the wrong instinct and you want to appeal to you want to appeal to whatever it is that makes people buy comics which you know for somebody our age is probably nostalgia in most cases yeah so you probably want to reference you know if you're if you if someone comes up to me and sees that I'm a 30 something person who probably read comics that came out you know 20 odd years ago you'd, you'd probably come up to me and you'd you'd, you'd, you'd want to say 
Actually, in my case, you want to talk about something like EC Comics because those were always my favorites. So you'd be like, well, you know, if you like uh, horrifying morality tales with zombies and walking deaders and, mm-hmm. you know, awesome black and white art with uh, really limited coloring. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I like to think that uh, my choice of not buying that book does not indicate somehow that I don't support the efforts oh, of, you know, I think the fact that we are recording this show right now suggests that we have a certain amount of desire to support what it is yeah, we love. I, mean, I, I totally, I totally want to support artists. In fact, uh, um, I may even be going into a business that supports artists with my sister. So, um, you know, I am, I am definitely on board with supporting artists. But, you know, if, if you as an artist want to be supported by me or by anybody else, um, you need to show your audience why they want to support you, why they why they need your art in their lives. Um, don't go for the don't go for the whole pity thing that that makes you look like you have no confidence in your work. And if you don't, then why should anybody else? Yeah, in the end, just give people what they want. See, create I, something that somebody will want, and that will and then by virtue of that fact, you'll get the support you're looking for. You make it sound so easy. I do, don't I? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Creating, creating something that people want is, is is tough. And sometimes you have to kind of, you know, you, you have to kind of, ex- in the beginning especially, especially if it's something really new and unusual, you got to kind of tell people why they want it. And um, pity or wanting to support a person that you may or may not know all that well um, probably shouldn't figure into it. You should explain why your new and awesome idea really mm-hmm. is the next big thing. Yeah, and I won't uh, say, you know, I'm, I'm going to be truthful. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there are times when I felt down and I felt like that was a, that was a, a pitch I should try making. Everyone, mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone has that moment where they think, well, I, do, I am deserving of that, of support, because I am, what I'm doing is I'm engaging in a noble endeavor. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, like for instance, if I go to a comic show, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm, going, I'm sure there's some level of my, some part, some, on some level I'm thinking, come on, people, buy one of my prints. I, came, I made the trouble of being here, and I worked so hard, and, you know, this is, come on, buy something from me. But mm-hmm. that's the wrong tack to take, and that's why I choose not to embrace that thought. You know, because <laughs> either I have something that somebody would like to purchase, or I do not. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you, you can't really blame the consumer if they don't, um, if they don't look at your work and think that is awesome, I must have that on my wall. Yeah, um, it just means you didn't you didn't hit quite the right note. Nobody's under any obligation to support that. Yeah. I mean, on, on a similar note, I think it must be in the air lately because uh, I wish I remembered who this was so I could say who it was. Um, mm-hmm. such a, I don't remember though. I saw an, either a status on Facebook or a blog post that somebody I know posted lately. Um, where they were saying uh, why they didn't support somebody's Kickstarter. Um, so they hadn't supported a Kickstarter that had been begun by a friend. And uh, I guess this person was a little bit pushy and came to them all, uh, hey, dude, why didn't you support my Kickstarter? Um, and the fact was that uh, he didn't really believe in it, in the in the idea that much, or, uh, I mean, didn't think it really had legs or was a you know smart business plan or whatever something along those lines so you know he didn't but he didn't want to say that because it's really awkward to have that conversation with a friend um 
especially if I mean you, you never know if if, if um, you know you know if your friend is looking for critique or uh, if your friend is open to that sort of uh, critical thing when they are asking for money. I mean, you know, the last thing that somebody wants to hear when they've already kind of put their all into presentation and they're trying to get money, probably the last thing they want to hear is, oh, well, you know, I don't think this idea is quite there yet. I, I don't think this has legs. Uh, I don't want to contribute to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, um, I noticed a, f- a friend of mine on Facebook made a rather um, kind of a bitter statement, a bitter comment in passing during one of the conversations on his fan page. And one of the things he said was, talent doesn't seem to matter much anymore. And I think he was perhaps feeling a little bit disgruntled over some success or lack of success on his part. Either that or he'd been to DeviantArt lately and seen all the uh, furry stuff on the badly drawn manga on the front page. (laughs) Well, talent might not mean anything when you're freely sharing something. Mm. You know, maybe the level of talent isn't as important when you're freely sharing something. But when you're operating as a professional on some level, maybe it's 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 kind of an incorrect statement, I think, to say that. To say that. Uh, I don't think talent does mean anything. And I think it's a good thing that talent on its own doesn't mean anything. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into your success, especially as a freelancer. Um, sure, being able to draw is a good thing, but that's um, generally more hard work than talent, I would think, in mm-hmm. most cases. I mean, no matter how, how naturally, natural aptitude you have for drawing, um, you know, there's, there's a big difference between being able to draw and being able to follow a brief and, and uh, come out with something that's going to, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, following a brief is like reading a mind. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes you, you kind of need to um, you do a little bit of guessing and uh, you need to ask questions and uh, you, need to, you need to be able to take sometimes a very vague description and, you know, reach into your client's head and bring out what, they, what you think they wanted. And, you know, you need to be able to work with other people. You need to be a good team player. And you also need a certain measure of luck, which, you know, no matter how good you are, sometimes you're not going to be the right fit for whatever project is going on at the moment. I mean, I get that no matter how many times I submit to Wizards of the Coast, um, unless they come out with a really specific kind of black and white book, I'm probably never going to get actually hired by them. It doesn't mean I'm not going to bother them with submissions. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you never know. You never know when uh, black and white art may suddenly be needed by a publisher that prints almost exclusively in color. But um, you know, sure, there's always going to be an there's, there's always going to be that element of being in the right place at the right time and that element of persistence. I mean. Last Friday, um, I spent I spent the whole day pretty much uh, looking up companies I might want to work for, and emailing the art directors because I I really want more horror assignments. So I was I was uh, you know emailing dozens and dozens of art directors and uh, uh, marketing departments and what have you for all sorts of publishers, large and small. Um, mm-hmm. And you know who knows if I'll get anything out of that, but you know you. you no matter how good you are, you got to put in the legwork and you got to work your butt off. Well, the thing is, you know, when I when I hear a statement like "talent doesn't matter," um, like that, when I when I hear it in the context in which it was used, it kind of mm-hmm. suggests to me that um, maybe this artist, at least at that particular moment, 
was viewing success as something that is driven entirely by luck and not by ability. And I'm not sure if I can get behind that statement 100%. I mean... Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, sure, there's an element of luck, like I was saying, you know. Yeah. You, you need to, you know, um, you can you can get lucky by emailing the right art director at the right time. I mean, when last Friday, in fact, I posted on my Facebook, I'm looking for horror assignments, and John Hodgson comes along and he's like, why did you post this after all my horror mythology briefs just went out? <laughs> so, you know, that is an example of not being in the right place at the right time. But, you know, that happens, but sometimes the opposite happens. Sometimes you post that you're looking for something and someone's like, hey, I'm looking for you. And sometimes you post something and, and you know... The, the opposite happens. You're, you're you don't get lucky, but it's not entirely driven by luck, because if you never posted anything or if you never emailed any art directors, you wouldn't even have the chance that you're going to be the right artist for the right project at the right time. I mean, what was it? Was it like Wayne Gretzky or something said that uh, you miss a hundred percent of the uh, um, uh, what do you call it when you go for the goal in hockey? I don't know. Um, you miss a hundred percent of the goals you didn't try. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know who said that. It's some sports person. <laughs> well, you know, there was a time when you, one might say it's um, success is all about showing up. But let's face it, a lot of times the wrong person shows up. <laughs> you yeah. know, so the work that they're doing is not. I mean, I, I would, I would, I guess I'm arguing, and you, are, well, obviously, you and I seem to agree on some point on this level here. Is that it's not about just showing up. Yeah, I think no, you got to show up in a lot of places and you got to keep showing up if you don't get picked the first time. Um, you know, a lot of artists will submit once to, to somewhere they want to work with. And uh, if they get a non-favorable response or no response at all, yeah, they're like, oh, fuck them. They don't want me. I won't submit yeah. again. So they don't submit again. Um, well, yeah, well, you perseverance. Should submit, you should probably submit, you know, if... If, assuming that they do publish stuff that matches your area of expertise, you should probably submit every six months to a year if you if you still have time and still want to work with them and haven't yeah. got something else that you're doing. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I while I while I was emailing all those art directors, um, I didn't actually get any horror assignments, but I did end up getting another job on Saturday. So. Oh, cool. Well, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about the perseverance of, uh, well, I mean, there's one that's, there's, I think there we're describing perhaps two kinds of perseverance. One is the perseverance of your, that you run your business, right? That you yeah. persevere to seek out new clients and, or to continue to, re, to send work to clients that you want to do work with. Mm -hmm. And then there's a perseverance of craft. And that's yeah, where exactly. I think that's where the one where you are constantly attempting to mold your work into something marketable where you're constantly adapting it and read and um, trying to grow your skills grow your abilities and that's that those two types of perseverance I think are what really create exactly you yeah. need both you need both you I mean you, you have to have the skills to pay the bills mm -hmm. and that is something that you only get through a lot a lot a lot a lot of practice and no matter how much talent you've got. And then you need the perseverance to, you know, market those skills. You can be a wonderful artist and uh, have major problems getting jobs. Like uh, I really hurt my business by uh, taking on a couple of day jobs for several years, um, during which time I was turning down most of the work I was getting from previously um, quite regular clients. And, you know, my, my client list really took a hit from that. 
and probably my reputation for being available and reliable took a hit from that. So, you, you know, I, I can't really blame myself, but I'm back. I'm going at it, trying to grow my business back again. Um, so, you know, you, you, um, you have your, you have your bad patches, you have your good patches, just don't, don't, don't give up on it. Uh, keep, keep trying. If you have the, if you have the chops, hopefully something will happen for you. There you go. And I think that's, you know, that kind of all feeds right back into, um, seek not charity, you know, just <laughs> seek only a chance. I think Plus, that's... And, and you have to be prepared for the fact that, um, you know, the job offers you get are not always the job offers you were looking for, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, when you need the money or when you feel, um, when you feel like your career needs a boost, um, don't, don't be too choosy. I mean, obviously, if it's something that's ideologically offensive to you, don't do it. But you know, if you get if you get a job illustrating something that's you know maybe not your first choice, but it's definitely something you can do and do a good job of, take it. I mean, just because it's not um, the top job that you would have uh, dreamed of, it doesn't doesn't mean it has, it has no value for you. Oh, yeah. you, never, you never know what's going to lead to what's going to lead to what. So keep keep exploring as many avenues as you can, and uh, hope for the best. Well, there you go. Think- oh, um, I should uh, just say on that note, if anybody is hiring people to do horror illustration at the moment, and you're listening to this, I want to do more horror illustration. So mm-hmm. hire me. <laughs> Support your local SoCar. <laughs> well, no, no, don't don't support your local SoCar. <laughs> Hire me to do horror because I'm really good at it. Um, I haven't got that much blood and guts in my portfolio, but I promise you, I can draw it if you want me to. But I'm also just good at drawing stuff that's just plain old creepy and nasty looking. And, and you, you look at it and you're like, shiver. See, that's the <laughs> elevator pitch right there. Yeah, there's my pitch. I don't need to draw the blood and guts. I am that awesome. I can scare you without drawing evisceration. But, um, but don't take that to mean I won't draw zombies. If you want me to draw zombies, I am down for zombies. Made of Made awesome. Made of zombies. Made of awesome, tempered in wind. <laughs> Wait, that's more pyre than a zombie. <laughs> 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 Whatever. Just imagine I made a zombie noise in there. Brains. Oh brains. man. But you, you know, it's, you know, and I see. Um, I, I see a very. I think what's really interesting. I there are those who say. You know, support a particular, you know, like for instance, Fantasy Art is making it. I, I applaud the work of Patrick Wilshire and and his, and his many compatriots. You know, the the idea that we need to do what we can to support Fantasy Art to get it out there in the public eye to make it. That's something a bit different, though. Exactly, that's, something uh, that, that is different. That's a. That's I think that's a movement. Community. That's supporting the community. Yes, and, and that's you know, doing something good for all artists and not just out for yourself and community is an important thing for artists exactly that's where i'm going with that i think that's that's something that you uh, i think if you here's the thing you if you give to something it will come back to you plus it's a solitary lifestyle and you know us artists we need all the support and companionship and so forth that we can get and i don't mean that in a financial sense i mean we we do need that uh community going on so yeah, I mean, support fantasy mm-hmm. art, support horror art, support zombie conventions, support whatever you want to support. Um, you know, that's good. That's yeah. Very, 
Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not opposed to, I'm not, I'm not opposed to stuff like Kickstarter. Let me just say that, um, no. just in case this is read wrong. In fact, I've been thinking about starting a Kickstarter myself because I'd like to do an art book at some point. Um, I have a bunch of work I need to do first, so I'm not quite ready yet, but I'm thinking about it. And, you know, I think crowdfunding is an awesome model because, um, it, it kind of, it's kind of like submitting a pitch to a publisher only instead of having to rely on the publisher's judgment, your support, you're, you're, you're posting the pitch, you're, you're giving your pitch directly to your buying public, you know, the people who are going to want the product that you are making. So, you know, you, if you do something like Kickstarter, you really reduce your chances of working for six months or a year on a book or a product of some sort, and then it turns out to be wildly unpopular because with crowdfunding, people have to want it enough that they are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. And if you do get your funding, it's like, yay, people want this. I'm going to do it. And if you don't get your funding, then you can be like, oh, I thought people wanted this, but they kind of don't. So back to the drawing board. We'll yeah. try something different. Or at least that slice of people that I was appealing to initially do not. So now you have to, you, you, I guess you get to that point where do you seek to go forward with it as best you can anyway and just hope to find the audience that you're missing? You know, you I, could, I don't, yeah, you could do that. Or you could. It's a risk. You, you could know. try a different audience. Or you could try a different, um, you could try a different idea, or you know you could finance it yourself and hope for the best, or you could seek a traditional publishing route if you really think you've got something, or you know if, if you're not married to the one idea, you can just try something else and see if that works a little bit better for you. Hmm. Um, and I think I think it's I think it's sort of awesome that you can you can get. You you know you know you can get an idea of what your market is like before you put too much work into something before you sort of pour months and months of passion and effort and sweat and blood into something only to discover that you are really the only person who is interested in that. Well, I mean, there's something, I think there's something to be said to an extent. There's something to be said for that because many great things have come as a result of just making the thing that you would like to have had. You know, if mm-hmm. you're, you know, say you're somebody who's making a comic book, ideally yeah. you're probably going to make the comic book that you yourself want to read. Yeah, but so, you know, I mean, if, that's... If you go, but all I'm saying is, you know, if you go for crowdfunding, it's um, you're seeing if it's just you who wants it, or if other people actually share your desire for this commodity. You know, I suppose, I suppose, uh, yeah. And I think I think it's good. I think it's good to have that. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think it, I think it's good to have that um, sort of filter. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, yeah, there... you and a lot of hard work. Yeah, I mean, also there are points and counterpoints to everything. But it's, I think it's, it's certainly worth discussing. I mean, you know, some people do the thing that they wanted to see all their lives. And, you know, it turns out that everyone else did want to see it. Other people sort of go for the same thing. They, they go for something that they thought was totally awesome. And other people are like, huh? Well, here's the thing. You know, you, know you, may, you may produce a book that's been a labor of love for you for years. And it maybe it doesn't sell well, but maybe the experience of creating it and the desire, the desire to have it out there and realized is enough. I mean, you maybe know, that's enough I for have, some people. I have to say, for me, that would not be enough. Well, not um, for you, but I mean, the yeah. thing is, I mean, there are plenty of people who are, they, they're not as concerned with the financial success of something if it was something they desperately wanted to create. 
It's not even. It's not even all about the money. Although I no. d- definitely want to see a financial return on on any work that I was doing. But um, well, yeah, there is um, something to be said. There is a high. I mean, that's a really high compliment when someone purchases something you created. Yeah, and you know, it's also, but it's also, you know, um, it's sort of like you know when you're getting critique, um, and you know, I appreciate critique not only on my technique but on my idea, and you know if. It turns out that the idea that I'm so passionate about isn't quite there yet. I want to know about it before I pour all that passion into it because I want the experience to be, you know, I want the experience to be of making something that actually is the best that it could have been. And if people, you know, don't fund my Kickstarter, that tells me that um, maybe it isn't all that it could be yet. And there's, you know, I, I can do something better here. I can I can improve this idea still. And then I can, you know, take it back and and I can, you know, ask people, well, what would make this good to you? Or, uh, you know, I can get some critiques on the idea itself. and Some feedback. You know, either, yeah. it'll, either it'll sort of evolve into a totally different idea or it'll be the same idea only with legs or... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like I like the idea of um, of you know something good coming from an epic fail. You know, I never say you put up your Kickstarter, you only ever get two dollars. Yeah, well, you know, we <laughs> learn more from our failures than from our successes. That at least that's something I tend to hold to. And man, do I learn a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I totally am on board with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you you do learn from failure. You you learn. Um, sometimes it can be a hard lesson, but then you remember it more. I mean, you remember people laughing at you and saying you have no talent and you suck and you should just stop. <laughs> that was my mother, actually. Thanks, mother. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> but you know, in a way, you are the wind beneath my wings. You know, in, in a way, even 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 the nasty lessons, um, they give you something. They give you some anger because you want to you want to like you want to squash that mother. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be like, mother, you're wrong. Look at me, I'm an artist. Screw you, I'm awesome. Yeah, exactly. You want to be able to stick it to you know the mothers of this world someday. <laughs> All the naysayers. Yeah, I mean, maybe your naysayer isn't your mother. Maybe your naysayer is, you know, your mean next-door neighbor or um, an art director who really ripped you a new one for wasting their time or, uh, I don't know, whoever your naysayer, your big naysayer is. You want to prove that person wrong. Even the, even the negative shit, you can, you can, you know, you want to come back and, you know, you want to, A, impress the right people and be known as a generally awesome person. But you also kind of want to, let's face it, we all kind of want to rub our detractors' noses in it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? You were wrong. I was right. That feels good. <laughs> hey, you know, this, you know, Earl, this, this kind of uh, brings us a little bit into... And we can, you can totally shut down this topic immediately if you'd like. But you know, were talking a little bit about how we present ourselves online. We 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 we, we, yeah, we tried we we tried this conversation a little bit and decided we'd take our own advice and not 
air everything that we said on the subject yeah, we got kind of political we recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago and yeah it's never gonna be aired you'll we have were, to pry it from my cold dead hands we it's, were ranting and it was, it was fun and very cathartic but we can't post it but you know it's actually funny you should mention that because i saw a facebook post and again i don't remember who made it i'm really sorry a couple of days ago and um no actually today or last night i don't know I don't remember. I saw a Facebook post, and it was from another artist, and she was saying, um, you know, I really, uh, it's so upsetting when you see somebody whose art you really respect posting on Facebook, and you realize they're a really mean person. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, I want to hope that wasn't me. What have I posted on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you wouldn't have these concerns if you were more attentive to your online persona, right? Yeah, I don't think I, I think I've posted anything that mean on Facebook lately, but you never know. I could have posted something mean and forgotten about it. I think, uh, what was my last Facebook post? Oh, yeah, I was trying to get um, people on my friends list to help me identify a bird, which actually turned out to be a regular old bush tit. I just couldn't tell what it was because it was wet, and its colors were all dark because it was wet. That is the filthiest name I have yet heard for a bird. I know! <laughs> that is just horrible. Bush tit. T-D-T. <laughs> oh, we're yeah. a bunch of adults here. Yeah, moment of five-year-old immaturity brought to you by Jeremy and Sokar and a bunch of friendly neighborhood bush tits. Yeah. I would go to a, a birders convention just to hear some 60-year-old bespectacled man say something like that. Check out the bush tits. Totally, totally. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as you were saying, you know, I, I think we've, we've, everyone has their own comfort zone with what they're willing to share of themselves online. Facebook makes that a very easy audience to find. You know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, a podcast. <clears throat> yeah, it very I, also, I always try to keep it in mind that I don't actually know most of the people on my Facebook friends list. Mm -hmm. So anything that I wouldn't say in front of a stranger, I should probably um, think twice about posting on my Facebook, which is I really, I think uh, maybe 10 or 20 people on my friends list mm -hmm. that I, I know. And maybe two that I've met in real life, one of those being my sister. So, <laughs> um, I mean, most of these people don't know me that well. Um, they might not share my sense of humor. They probably, in many cases, don't share my politics. So I'm kind of mindful about what I, what I want to say to people I don't know that well. Yeah, I tend to be the same way. I don't have, um, I don't have a fan page or a like page, for instance. I don't have like a, an Art of Jeremy page yeah, that would allow that me either. to separate church and state, if you will. Yeah, I don't really get the difference, so I just, you know, have the one Facebook page to keep it down on the confusion front. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't mind. I, I, I guess maybe in some ways it's it's almost, um, um, I don't mind sharing aspects of my life on my Facebook page. Because, you know, let's face it, I, I, I keep it within reason. I don't uh, put every, every nuanced thought that I have on my Facebook page and... I don't. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I mean, I'll post like I'll post stuff like um, saw a good bird today, ate some fries, but 
you know, I won't pay. I, I don't post on Facebook if I, you know, tried a new brand of tampons or um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or or who I voted for in the last election or whether I voted. You know, I, I don't post that on Facebook. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know that my politics are not necessarily everybody's. You know, I'm, you know, and I'll, I'll keep that to a uh, I'll keep it to a, a very vague like of a particular post. Keep it to a low drone, hey. Yeah, I, I tend not to um, go into. Um, politically fueled rants on my Facebook page because most people probably won't be terribly interested yeah, and I, they might walk away with the wrong idea <laughs> about what I think, uh, how I think everyone should behave, you know. I, I do admire people who stand up for what they believe in and have some activist presence. Oh, sure. Internet, but um, I, I admire them, but at the same time, I am a kind of chicken I've thought about, you know, making a separate troll account that doesn't have my name on it and then just trolling the shit out of people I don't agree with and totally arguing with them and, you know, bringing down the shout at you hammer. Yeah, I, I don't post, for instance, one of the things I don't do is I don't post calls to action mm-hmm. when, it, when it comes to, particularly when it comes to politics and, and things of that sort. I tend not to. Mm-hmm. And well, I think part of it is, I think is there is um people do tend to relate to each other oftentimes they will relate to each other on a political level even people who have a business relationship and mm-hmm. uh, you know I have a friend of mine who's a graphic designer who is staunchly conservative very mm-hmm. conservative highly conservative republican fiscal uh, fiscally conservative possibly socially so I don't I don't really follow enough to know but I know that every Christmas time he produces a Christmas card that he sends to his clients and, a, and friends, and it's usually politically charged. Mm-hmm. And it oftentimes will espouse his conservative politics. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it kind of turns me off, on to be fair, because it's, you know, without going into too great detail, it just occurs to me that it's kind of a risky maneuver on his part. Because what if, you know, it doesn't, I mean... Hmm. What if it doesn't, yeah, what if it doesn't match? That know? could blow up in your face. Yeah, you know, really need some people. And... If your clientele are potentially liberal, you know, mm-hmm. and they see these highly conservative political views being espoused publicly on your part, they might think that you're not the person for their job. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really want to do anything that could jeopardize my income on the internet because... Um, I actually, you know, there's, I don't really have anything to fall back on. If my illustration business fails, you know, I can't go out and get a job at McDonald's. Um, mm-hmm. I can't, you know, I can't go back to medical school and, and become a doctor. Um, I can't do anything that would involve working outside of the home. Mm-hmm. And work, I don't know if people know this, but work at home jobs are kind of limited um, there's customer service jobs, there's phone sex, and there's uh, um, like taking dictation online. And stuff Selling like that. peppered chef. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, like, <laughs> you know. They're, they're, they're all pretty low paying jobs. Um, and I live in a city which has a high cost of living. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have costs that other pe- a lot of other people don't have. Uh, I get my groceries delivered, um, I send out my laundry. Um, mm-hmm. You, know, anything, you lead a fairly I, private I, life. You know, anything I cannot do, go out and do for myself, I have to pay somebody to do. So my cost of living is quite high. Um, if, 
if, if my illustration business fails, uh, I don't really have a fallback plan. Um, eventually I'll get an inheritance, but you know, that won't last me forever. And I really don't want my parents to die soon. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we, I'm not we, I'm not anticipating my inheritance eagerly here. Yeah, we told so, we told our father that if there was anything left when you died, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you know, and he took it to he took that to heart. <laughs> you know, he had himself some fun. Well, my so, mother's probably have a bit of trouble spending all their money before they die. So you know, I'll, I'll be getting a nice chunk of change when they die. But you know, I don't want them to die. No. <laughs> so I want I, don't, I want them to stick around for as long as humanly possible, uh-huh. unless they get unless they get Alzheimer's, then they can die. But because um, I don't want to, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But you know, hey, before this becomes get, the, the saddest else, special then, episode of Ninja Mountain ever, let's move on. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I'm being so selfish. I'm like, yeah, if my parents get any other disease, they need to power through it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, um, I don't have a fallback plan. So my illustration business needs to succeed. So, you know, I think that I'm justified in not being political online. <laughs> well, you know, you can. I mean, if you're politically active, for instance, just I'm, I'm choosing politically active because I'm avoiding the topic of any other sensitive topic here. I'm, I'm avoiding any other sensitive topic. But politics are something most people are fairly neutral on and moderate, and that's okay. Some folks are very politically rabid. If anybody follows uh, Todd Lockwood, you'll know that he's very politically motivated, very active. But he's, but he's Todd Lockwood. He his is. Business isn't, his, his business isn't going to fail. If exactly. He he's his the kind of he works in the kind of industry where I mean, Wizard of the Coast is not going to stop hiring him for liberal views. Yeah, I mean, if I'm getting if I start getting regular work from really big publishing houses, hey, Random House, you can call me back. You know, it's been years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, he's yeah. made it. He's actually made his head some success because of that. I mean, he looked, for instance, he did a portrait of uh, Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. He, he did a portrait painting of Stephen Colbert, who is a, a liberal comedian who portrays yeah, a good. an uber conservative on television for giggles. Yeah, he does the he does the uh, Colbert rapport. Yeah, <laughs> he he's made that a virtue, you know. Yeah. And, but his his basic his general clientele are not going to be affected by that. Yeah, but he's he's well established, so he yeah. can say whatever he wants. <laughs> yes, but, you know those of us who are still um, pecking away at the crumbs we can get. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I to anybody who's hired me lately, um, I did not mean to just call your assignments crumbs. All my jobs are very important to me. I do not consider them crumbs. <laughs> well, no, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly the reason I should not be allowed to open my big mouth online. <laughs> Yeah, I just probably. I, I, I think most publishers have a good sense of their own scale. I don't. I don't think they're going to be insulted by just you know, if the, right. if if a publisher right. sends out a, like four hundred and fifty dollars worth of artwork assignments every year, they they, they clearly they're realize not. they're not, <laughs> huh? They know they're small press. Yes, yeah, and <laughs> I think they're quite. Say it. And most who are small press, I think, are content to be so. I don't think they're trying to be the biggest. Oh, right. Exactly. You know. um, so I okay maybe I didn't insult anyone. No there. no no I I don't think so. I but, mean those, but those of us who are still doing that you know mostly the small press circuit, um, you know I think I think we I think we are prudent to be a little bit careful about, you know putting our money where our mouth is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I mean I I that sounds like a really cowardly thing to say especially in an age where uh, some things are so very very important, but um, yeah I, I am a coward sorry. <laughs> I, apologize, I, I apologize for that and for 
any um, any damage to the human race that my general apathy has caused. <laughs> okay, let's leave the subject alone now. Let's just move on. Let's just yeah, move on. Yeah, really embarrassing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very. I mean, you know, the whole idea of write something and then delete it. Don't like. Don't respond, for instance, online to a baiting comment. Don't. Uh, well, at least not initially. Not. Don't respond emotionally to it. Yeah, you know, and, I, and you know, I find that if somebody is writing something that's baiting, and I find it annoying, and then I leave it overnight. I've kind of lost the whole motivation to argue by the next day, so yeah, keep we, my nose clean. Many many years, some years ago, we had a um, we had a someone who who posted on our show uh, on our comments blog, and, and it was usually fairly inflammatory, kind of attacking. Both uh, it would attack maybe particular panelists or the show in general. Wait, and, someone who posted about Ninja Mountain. Oh yeah, this was you'll probably. I, I'm not going to name names. This was years ago, and there's no reason oh, to. Oh wait, yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah, okay, and on. it just uh, you know, I was I pretty much had to come forward and make a comment, you know, because at that time I I was I don't know maybe I was one of the more active at that time. I don't know. You know, you know, if 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 he's still listening, you know, you just like invited him back into it. No, 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 I don't. I, I, <laughs> you did. Oh you no, did. no. I, well, I just recall it. It was it was fairly. You know, I had to respond professionally. I had to be very. I had to be polite. Hey, dude, if you're out there and you're hearing this. Why don't you come and comment this week on what you think of Jeremy's professionalism? <laughs> well, I, I'd like to think I was fairly neutral without being, you know, I don't think I was attacking in my response. But that was that was a bit of a challenge for me because I had, you know, because I knew the people he was refer, he was commenting to personally. And I had to... What's that? I was like, thing of beauty. <laughs> and, I, you know, I had to respond. I had to be careful about how I responded. Okay. You know, and that was a te- that was a proving ground, testing ground for me. Not that we've, you know, not that this thing, sort of thing happened often or what have you, but when it did, if it was unfair, then we had to at least respond to it. You know. Yeah. I guess we've had negative comments. We had negative comments about me saying so many swear words. <laughs> well, you know, I, you're just a potty mouth. I mean, what can I say? Well, yeah, the, the, I haven't said a swear word on 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 the show in a long time. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, I'm my, much my, more comfortable now. I guess I guess what I, the lessons I take from that experience was just um, remain a professional in whatever capacity. You know, if you're if you're online and you know you feel like you're being personally attacked, just try to try to divorce yourself from the situation a little bit and just respond reasonably <laughs> with moderation, if you will. Yeah, totally. But um, I mean, there's a, a, there's also the potential yeah. when you go online. Maybe you had a really bad experience at a convention. I mean, you could, you might decide to, um, oh, bash a particular show, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, or bash a uh, a particular fandom for something, and it's sort of a you have to. I think that's a really pretty th- risky maneuver, especially if there's overlap between the fandom of the thing you're bashing and your fandom. Because mm. mm. like if you if you say something and and you say it and you suddenly like if 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 I was to go on Facebook and be like, oh my God, gamers are such dorks! I can't believe these losers in their basements peeing in water bottles. Then that would be, you know, a big mistake. 
because A, I'm a gamer, so it would be so hypocritical. And, <laughs> and B, um, probably a lot of people who are fans of my art are gamers because where do you see a lot of my art? In games? Yeah. And for one thing, they don't <laughs> pee into water bottles. It's always Mountain Dew cans. Thank you. Oh. But moving I right said, along. I, well, you know, I usually pee in the toilet while we're in um, our we're on the While we're on the topic that we really should be moving on from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I usually pee in places where it's intended. Um, but, you know, occasionally on people's heads as well. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, God. I mean, I'll pee on people's heads. <laughs> So I, I guess the, the final, if we're going to offer a final word on it, is just uh, behave yourselves out there, unless you really don't want, unless you really don't mind alienating <laughs> people yeah, and, potentially. And, and probably don't talk about peeing on people's heads. Yeah. along you know we have a we do have a oh yeah we have a critique we have we? a critique before we wrap this up oh shit yeah we've been talking about peeing and 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 uh and this poor guy has been probably listening to this whole episode waiting for his critique while we have been you know acting like total dork butts oh yeah yeah i feel i feel bad as i haven't let this listener know that we were going to be critiquing his his work he'd asked for it but oh, i never got a yeah. chance to respond but, you know uh, what? We should send him an email and tell him that he has been critiqued and he he needs to, you know, fast forward to the end if he wants to get his critique. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, let me just open my email so I can, uh, on my iPad here. Sure. Okay, Ninja Mountain Crit. Here Whilst we go. Whilst you do that, I will just introduce the artist. It's a listener, Preston Stone, who's a regular, uh, he's a regular listener and he sometimes posts in the comments of the blog. And... Uh, Talented illustrator, digital painter, great, some good stuff here. Um, if we're going to offer, we can offer some critique. Of uh, he offer, he sent us two images, and okay. I think the two images have some things in common, mm -hmm. uh, and things that if I were going to offer critique on. Okay. I'll give you a moment to. Have you had a chance to look it over? To look them over. Yeah, I was thinking we could start with the one with the. Um, I mean, we can certainly do like offer some critiques on the commonalities, but I think uh, you know we should start with one and then do the other. Yeah, so we can draw those comparisons. Yeah. So let's let's start with the one with the um, undead warriors. Um, oh wait, sure. That kind of describes both of them, doesn't it? That's, oh wait, no. No. Uh, the no, uh, the first one yeah. featuring a large snake warrior holding aloft a uh, a skeleton. And, oh uh, oh, he's holding a skeleton up. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and, yeah, and, that, okay, that, that was the one I meant. Um, they, we should start with that one and then move on to the tentacle beast. Sure, sure. Okay, so, um, do you know anything about perspective? I know a little bit. Okay, I know a then little bit. you can talk about the perspective in that one because something is, um, I, can, I can see that there's something wrong with the perspective here, but I'm having trouble putting it into words. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, here's the thing. There, there's um, there are some issues of scale. There are issues of. Um, I mean, these are. I think these are compelling ideas. I like what. I think they're interesting. I like some. Uh, he's clearly put some thought into these pieces and what he wanted to depict, mm -hmm. and they're interesting. You know, they are. the the things that uh, there are certain things that I think could be addressed that might help. Um, like for if I had to start. Uh, let's look at issues of um, I think foreshortening might be a, be one thing one could talk about. 
just as a just as an example, I take that um, lich character in the background, that skeletal wizard. The one with the purple highlights on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you'll notice uh, his th- the artist is employing foreshortening on mm-hmm. the the leading hand of that wizard. Yes. Yeah, and the hand is about the size of the head. If I'm looking at this accurately, I don't know. There's some distortion from the uh, the magical effects, but if I'm reading this correctly, it looks like he's he's foreshortened that hand. But the the problem is that character is uh, perhaps too far away from the viewer for that to actually occur visually. And and then we don't really have so much foreshortening on the characters that are close to the viewer. I think he could have, you know, he could have had he could have had a bit more drama if he'd. Uh, you know, maybe um, had that sword from the snake dude in the middle mm-hmm. um, coming more towards the viewer and the snake dude's hand being bigger. And then uh, these elven people or dwarves, what are these? I don't know. Uh, some kind of fantasy characters in the foreground. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. The scale is a bit funny on those. It's a bit hard to see how they connect to the ground. Yeah. Well, and, uh, if, and if someone needs a, you know, if, if someone needs some experience, you know, try, wants to know what I'm talking about with regards to the foreshortening of that hand... You know, get, grab, have a friend, just uh, hold aloft their hand towards you, the viewer. And then walk towards you? Well, yeah. Well, first off, stand at about a, stand maybe um, a foot away from their hand. And you'll see how much larger their hand is in comparison to their head. Now, start walking backwards. Mm. And the further you get, the less of that uh, foreshortened effect are you going to perceive. Because it's amount, it's basically, it's based on uh, the percentage clo- you know, that that hand is closer to the viewer. It's really too bad we don't have Patrick this episode because um, he's really good at describing issues of perspective, and mm-hmm. I, unfortunately, I'm really bad at describing issues of perspective. <laughs> I can well, see them. I can't. Yeah. I, I have trouble putting them into coherent well, words yeah. and being understood. Um, well, here, here's the thing. If you're watching a soccer game, for instance, do the uh, players' hands appear closer, really appear larger and closer to you when you're, front, when you're sitting in the stands, when they're, when they're pointing in your direction? I don't know. I've never they watched don't. a soccer game. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I said, I don't know. I never watched a soccer game. Well, you know what I'm saying. Any yeah, kind of event. Someone walking down the street. You know, they're mm-hmm. not going to appear... I mean, the, the foreshortening, the effect of foreshortening is not as... Um... Here's, here's one thing I could say. I think um, he's made in some places some nice use of atmospheric perspective, but I think that um, given that he's got a limited canvas, that he's obviously wanted to put a lot of stuff in. I mean, he's got this mm-hmm. vast army of skeletons that's pouring down from the left side here, and then there's more of them coming down that hill from that big ruined building. Mm-hmm. And... But but it looks like this, um, you know, an army of Lilliputian skeletons, because um, you you can't really there's there's no um, it, it looks like they aren't as far away as they should be. Um, but what he could have done, I think, to um, sort of fit all this into the relatively confined area and with all this stuff going on in the foreground too, I think that he could have made better use of. Um, atmospheric perspective and just um, sort of uh, cheating. Um, I'm going to call this cheating. This is something I do. Um, <laughs> instead of having a couple a couple of these columns here, uh, like the, the two that are behind the elf and the snake guy, um, he could have had like a bunch of fog there or some, you know, some bushes or something um, so that you can't see the ground in that area and you're not sure what the features of the ground are. 
So then the brain just assumes there's a distance there because you see the relatively tiny scale of the skellies in the background there. And if it was like, if there wasn't something with, that's large and massive that looks like it's really close to the skeletons, if instead of these columns there was uh, a bank of mist or some, uh, I, I don't know, ma even another magic effect, because there's magic going on here, like a bunch of ball lightning scattering around or something like that, then I think it would read a lot more like a horrible, terrifying uh, army of living dead than a bunch of tiny little skeletons hiding behind a uh, uh, column. Yeah, right now I'm doing, um, I'm running some, uh, I'm carrying forth some rays from the, uh, that temple that's on the high hillside. Yeah. And the temple that's in the lower um, quadrant there, the lower side there. There's, there are two, basically there are two sets of ruins from the looks of it, you know, two primary ones, the ones that are most visible. Yeah. And it would appear, and just doing a quick test here, it looks like they are currently radiating from two separate horizon lines. Yeah, that that is definitely the case. And on the top one as well, um, the top temple at the top of the hill there, um, mm -hmm. it, it appears that there's sort of a second roof on top of the first roof, and the perspective of that doesn't match, so it looks like it's kind of sliding down the side, like, you know, it wasn't glued on right or something. Yeah, the, so. right now we're looking, I think pri of primary concern here is that in terms of his uh, uh, his perspective underdrawing, we're dealing with two de two separate horizons, and that's what's causing... Uh, that distortion that you're noticing, yeah, in the I, uh, the two temples. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't put that better. Um, I made that. I really obfuscated the waters there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, I think if, to to fix the perspective here, um, you can use some like little cheating tricks, like I mentioned with atmospheric effects. But for the ruins themselves, uh, I think you really needs to, um, uh, you know, you know, just uh, put a put a Put a bird on it. No, <laughs> put a grid on it. Um, I think it looks like he drew them freehand, and you know, when you're in a hurry, you do that. I do that. Um, I draw things that aren't correctly in perspective all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I meant to do that. I don't care. <laughs> Still, it's something you can. It's something that um, you know, you could you could uh, you could do um if you wanted to, um, sort of make it look a bit more solid. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, and I and I also think um, hmm, I don't know something something here with the composition that I think isn't. Well, his snake figure is dead center of is the uh, of the composition, and the 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 snake's um, head is almost dead center of the composition. His body is run, is bisecting it down the middle. His yeah. head is almost at the middle. You know, like, it's almost at the exact middle of this canvas. Yeah, my, I mean, my eye is drawn immediately to the skeleton's shiny head, um, which does, which almost, it's a bit too low, but it, it could sort of almost, well, it's quite a bit too low. In fact, it doesn't follow the rule of thirds at all. I mean, not that you always have to follow the rule of thirds. No, they're just, the rule, these are just <laughs> suggestions, you know. Um, um, I think, I think part of the problem is, you know, um, there's so much going on here. And the focal point isn't totally clear because, 
you know, my, my eye is drawn to the skeleton's shiny head, but then yeah. um, I also I look at this these bright purple and blue colors that are popping up, and there isn't really a lot of consistency with the lighting. Yeah. Well, um, here's some things that he can address, because there's a certain, there's, a, there's a, an amount of flatness that's taking place in this piece, and it's occurring on a couple, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we have, of course, because we have multiple horizon lines, that's creating confusion in the perspective of the architecture. Mm -hmm. uh, two, we have value relationships that are drawing the eye to places that he might not want to have had people mm -hmm. focusing on. For instance, like the, the white of the skull is one of the higher points of um, contrast, and our eyes are drawn to contrast. Yeah, like yeah. those huge shadows in the ground. I spent, I think, a bit too much time looking at the ground. Yeah, they're very yeah. The, the shadows are clearly some of the highest contrast in the in the in the piece on the ground, and that's not where you necessarily wanted the eyes to linger. Um, there's a process called flagging, and it was introduced to me in James Gurney's book. And if you look at the serpent's skull, uh, his head is um, it's not being properly flagged. It's the contrast there is is it's kind of causing his head to recede into the background because you'll notice how the values yeah, uh, they're, are very, they're merging, uh, what yeah, we call it's a mergers. Yeah, value range. It looks, so it looks like the head is a lot farther back than the bottom of this back. Yeah, because of the values are pushing, or they're com values in the, in the far distant background are mingling with values in the foreground, which is causing this, um, mm -hmm. this deadening, you know, this flattening of the image. That's another thing that's going on is the detail. There are some areas of detail that are kind of in the wrong places. Like I keep looking at the tops of these two columns that the, the same columns that I said probably shouldn't be there because they're creating perspective confusion. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the tops of the columns a lot because there seems to be some kind of um, texture on there that's and and very high contrast on the tops of these columns too, which really draws the eye. And you know the top of a column isn't that interesting. I don't want to look at that. Um, <laughs> You just uh, you know, those could be muted, like they, those could be really muted down a lot to to get them out of the out of the viewer's range of interest. And I mean stuff like the dwarf's hammer, which is probably made of metal, it should be a lot brighter and shinier than the uh, stone that's right behind it, so it doesn't look like it's part of the stone. Um, I mean, I'm not. I, we sounds like we're being very critical of this image, and um, there are good points about it too. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think he uh, started off with some with some really good um, smoky atmosphere there in the sky. That's some of my favorite aspects of this piece. I think is that yeah, that I, atmosphere. I, love, I really like the way that you know the light is filtering through the clouds. You know, I live in Vancouver; it's very rainy and stuff. And, in the, in the late afternoons, just before sunset, we get a lot of that, you know, with areas of the clouds where the sun is kind of peeking through a little bit, and uh, but in other areas it's dark, and then little flocks of birds are going by. I mean, that's really well done. I really like that. And, um, you know, the idea of the ruins is really good, and, you know, the, the colors he's used for the ruins are really working, the, the ones on the top of the hill. Mm -hmm. um, it gets a little bit murkier in the foreground. So the foreground is unfortunately... Um, uh, it it doesn't stand out enough from this murky background, and I I get that he wanted he probably what he probably wants here is um you know the way that a really foggy overcast um, day it sort of gives everything a sort of gray dim uh, atmosphere, and then there's and and I mean that could be really effective with um with the bright magic standing out against this cloudy day, but he really needs a more dynamic value range like. Uh, Maybe 
maybe push the value, narrow the value range a bit in the background. Yes, to and reduce put, the contrast and the uh, saturation. Not that, yeah, not that like, the colors are terribly saturated. They're actually they're quite. I think like, they're relatively neutral. Like keep keep the keep that really awesome smoky textury look and and the and, and you know keep some contrast there. Um, but uh, let the background fall a bit more into the background and uh, bring the foreground more into the foreground. You don't need to like go for totally bright ass colors, but mm -hmm. um, make it clear that the foreground is the foreground. And then um, you've got the beginnings of a nice circular composition with the characters. Um, but it, it it could be there could be more curvature, especially to the snake body, because the snake guy is. I mean, the snake is like a sinuous creature, so use that um, instead of having the snake straight up and down. I mean, the skeleton that the snake has gotten by the neck, he has some nice motion. Mm -hmm. some... Continue the lines of that skeleton into the snake, and then, um, I don't know, do something about those two characters in the, in the foreground that are sort of falling off the page, and, and you've got a winner. I think there are other, you know, one of the things, for instance, the, the sword that the snake is holding. I think I, I can, I see what you're saying in terms of uh, having that sword perhaps projecting towards the viewer. Um, I think one of the, right now that blade is just touching the column that the yeah, uh, the elf is standing thing. in front of. And I think that kind of creates what, that does create that merger, that tangent. Yeah. I mean, it could be, the sword doesn't necessarily have to go towards the viewer if you don't want that kind of um, in your face. Mm -hmm. It could be going away from the viewer. Yeah, but, or just, but just not touching the column. Not, not touching the column, yeah. And, and like more curvature to the snake guy's back, like have him sort of, oh, maybe one of his legs raised in the air and his tail swirling around. And, yeah. Um, then maybe that elf in the front there could be like ducking under his tail, which explains why he's kind of kneeling down and then... I don't know. Maybe maybe have that other guy um, stand up a little bit. I don't know. But then he'd be covering up these uh, other two characters here that are purple with the purple light. I think uh, this could. This looks like it was a picture that was done of a really detailed brief. Mm -hmm. And when you get a really detailed brief like that, that has a lot of stuff going on, um, one thing that can help is that I find it helps for me anyway is. Um, Draw a bunch of little thumbnails, just like a couple of inches by a couple of inches, no detail, just like the silhouettes of the figures, um, and and just move them around. You know, do a whole bunch of different ones and different poses, and until you find something that looks really dynamic, and then you can sketch them up and uh, and and you know, one thing you can do um, is just sort of have a main page that you put. You put the kind of sketch on with very loose outlines, but then sketch all the characters and, and elements individually so that when you fit them into the composition that you've already laid out, you can move them around a little bit. You can be like, okay, uh, this doesn't work. I'll move this down a little bit or I'll move that up or, eh, this guy doesn't look quite like I thought he was going to from the thumbnail, so I'll move him over here. I mean, you can you can kind of use tracing paper or you can uh, move things around or you can scan them all in and do it digitally. But um, sometimes just being able to move the pieces around even a little bit instead of just sort of drawing it all in one fell swoop and hoping that you can fit everything in, uh, it really helps. And, you know, if, if, you're, if you're finding, okay, this isn't working like I thought it was, and just go back to the thumbnail stage um, and, you know, work it, work it a little bit more um, now that you know what's working and not working on the large scale. 
Yeah. You'll get you'll, you'll get it. Oh yeah, I mean, I've 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 assembled pieces when I was working primarily digitally. Even sometimes when I'm doing traditional stuff, if I'm do if there's a digital component to what I'm doing and I'm using it, uh, using the digital tools for roughing and composing, mm-hmm. I do like to occasionally assemble things from different parts, different drawings, and then assemble them together. I mean, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you um you you always sort of draw every little part separately so that you don't have an overview. What I'm saying is you should definitely have an overview first, and that's where the thumbnailing comes in. Yeah. But but then don't once you've got your thumbnail, don't commit to sitting down and drawing that all onto one page because it doesn't always quite work out the way you were expecting. Sometimes after you've done your thumbnail and you've drawn all the parts, you notice there's a problem you weren't foreseeing. Um, and and then if you've if you've if you've um uh like you draw that you draw the main you draw the main drawing sort of loosely with the perspective lines and everything and then you sort of draw on separate pieces of paper you draw um some of the smaller components that, that you're going to fit into that and then you can you, you know you can alter their sizes you can move them around a little bit but you've still got the overall you've you've got the overall thing mm-hmm. you know all in place yeah, I, one of the things that's sticking out, and one thing I, I often, uh, one of my pet peeves, and it's just a, it's just me, and I realize that you know a lot of artists like to work in this manner, but for me, it's the use of this overwhelmingly dark gray or black as shadow color. Yeah, that doesn't tend to work in sort of painted looking pieces a lot. I don't think he's used any pure black or white here. Um, no, well, but it's reading as such. You know, and it it's, even if it he's is. not intending it, if he's not uh, using it in his palette, it's still, he, I think there's part, maybe it's dodge and burn. I, I don't know. I know that's a popular method. Of, oh, uh, I, don't, I don't like the dodge and burn. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of that either, but I, um, I know that some people really do favor that look. And um, it's, not, it's very graphical. It's very, um, it has that, it reads kind of digitally to me. Which is fine, which is fine, but... I, know, I mean, some people are a fan of it. I'm not personally a fan of it. I'm not, like, condemning it to cross the board. But, yeah, but, I mean, I mean, yeah, if it reads as black, then if it reads as pure black and you you don't have a lot of the... And you're you're losing big parts and just, like, holding the canvas shadow, then you have a problem. Yeah. I'm looking at it on my iPad, and it doesn't look too bad, but there are some places where the shadows are too intense, even on the iPad, which has a kind of light display. Yeah, yeah. I, I would push back some of those values, and I would perhaps introduce color. You know, shadow tends to be the the uh, tends to equal all the varying. You know, the 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 light color. It's part of the, you know the things that affect color shadows are what colors are being reflected from mm-hmm. the uh, the strike the surface that the uh, the light is striking is going to bounce up into the shadow, and it's going to influence the color of that shadow. For instance, if it's a light. If the light is warm, it's going to. It was like Greg Heldbrandt pointed this out to me. He, you know, if it's a, if it's a warm color, warm light, he recommended cool shadow and vice right. versa. And I think it's something worth exploring for this piece because I, I'm not entirely sure at this point what color the light is. It, the color appears white um, to my I eyes. Guess- you do get that. I mean, in this particular kind of weather, you do get a lot of sort of really gray, um, unpleasant-looking light with with maybe a little yellowishness to it. Like yesterday, um, a big crow landed on my balcony, and so I decided to take a photo of the crow. And it wasn't a black and white photo, mm-hmm. but it was such a gray day, and it was a black crow that you you think it was a black and white photo unless you looked really, really closely. 
So you know that's a you know a gray a gray kind of light is a perfectly legitimate kind of light. But um, I think maybe what I'd have done if if I'd been given this brief um, is you know I'd really have exaggerated those magic effects like um, to give to give it an, another light source. I mean it seemed they seem really localized. Um, maybe I'd have done them like swirling around a little bit more. So, well, you know, the other thing, the kind of uh, one of the things I've noticed and what, uh, what can, can contribute to some of the flatness is that we have this the the skeletal wizard in the background with these really powerful, very saturated light source of uh, this magenta light source, mm-hmm. and it's reading around the. You can see hints of that. You know, it's getting into the shadows of. It's creating rim lighting, for instance, for that uh, short, that dwarven character that's attacking him. Then yeah. you have this foreground warrior with the hammer, and you can see it's bouncing around in there, too, even though there's a considerable distance between yep. the uh, wizard and that warrior. I think if, it, if it's going to make it all the way to that warrior, I think, you know, he could make it, he could put like a, a sort of halo of magenta light or all all around that wizardy guy or something so that it looks like you know a really big flash although <laughs> again that could be part of the brief now because we don't know what spell this guy's casting maybe he's casting a spell that doesn't cast a lot of light i don't know i don't know anything about the spell that he is casting so you know um i remember once when i had an assignment like this though it was uh I, it was years and years and years ago i think for sovereign press or something Mm-hmm. And it, it involved a lot of kind of the same sort of elements, a battle, swirling magic. And uh, what I ended up doing was um, I chose a color. I, I th- I'd been told what the color for the magic had to be. So I chose a color for the sky um, that was complementary to the color of the magic. Um, and then I had uh, I arranged the composition around the swirling of the magic. Um, so there was like this big swizzle of um of a really bright color uh sort of making an s curve through the composition and then there was this bright bright sky behind it in a complementary color and um uh it and it sort of it, it you'd, you'd think when you that it wouldn't bring it together but it, it was actually kind of the only thing holding it together because there's a lot going on in that picture so sometimes you can use you can use the things that are in the brief and you're like, oh, how am I going to fit that in? Sometimes you have to take those things and sort of be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to just take that and I'm going to go with it and I'm going to emphasize it. Sometimes so sometimes you can do it that way. You can uh, you can you can downplay that kind of thing or you can really make it sort of a big part of what you're doing. Um I mean, I I really like um I really like uh, all the rendering in these skeletons so over on the left here mm-hmm. the expression the expressions in their faces and stuff i think i think all the facial expressions in this are really well done like even the little tiny skeletons in the background and then that lich guy he looks really evil and you know you got these people in the foreground and the snake and they're all showing their teeth and doing their war cry and you know i think that's i think he's really it's really um, pulled pulled out all the stops there. A lot of people kind of forget that, and then you you know, you got sort of people in battle with these totally neutral expressions on their face. Oh yeah, no, it's a very I mean it's a very ambitious piece of work. It is. And it's just it's just suffering a bit with certain um, with um, proportion and perspective and some yeah. value relationships that are causing some things to flatten out. I have so, to say, I have to say this is yeah this is like I can tell this was a difficult reef. This would be this would be a tough picture for anybody to do. Um, 
I would be sketching for hours to, to um, as well, and you too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this would be this would be a toughie for anybody. Um, and he's he's definitely got a lot of elements that are going well. Um, I, I I know that we sound really critical picking apart stuff, but um, you, you know there's a lot of stuff that is working here too. Oh yeah, no, I think he's got some compelling designs. I think he has some interesting characters. I think there's um, there's there's a, a lot of good things happening. It's just uh, it's just really it's just more um, just some more technical. In the end, it's really just more some technical things that just need to be addressed to help pull it all together. Yeah. And I, I mean, sometimes for all your best efforts, you know, you you look at it when it's done, and you're like, oh, I could have, I should have, I could have, should have done this, you know. But um, like a, like a while ago, I was doing a drawing, and a bird took a shit on it halfway through. Like it came right in my window, and it shit in my drawing while I was in the shower. Oh, nice! Everyone's a critic, huh? Yeah, exactly. And and um, you know, I had a really specific idea of where this drawing was going, and. When the bird shit on it, I just, I just, I decided to cover up the stain with ink, mm-hmm. and the whole picture ended up being horribly overworked, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't look like it was supposed to look, and you know, I keep looking at it with such disappointment, thinking, is there anything I can do to fix this? But it's ink, so I, I would probably end up just overworking it even more. But then I look at it and I think, can I up the contrast on this? Is there something I can still do here? Can I can I salvage this? And this appears to be a piece of digital work, though. So mm-hmm. this guy, this guy is in luck. He can change stuff still. Quite oh easy. yeah, there's a lot he can do, and it's you know, um, and, a lot of it, and a lot of it is quite simple. Oh yeah, yeah. He, there's no there's no like giant flubs in this piece. No, they're just things that need to be tweaked. Yeah, need some tweaking, some correction, some some pushing on the values, but like it's not like he went through and overworked and screwed up the whole picture like I did. He he has uh, he has a good picture with some small parts that aren't really working and and need a little bit of um, fine tuning here. But but he has and and it's digital, so he can do that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you know, moving on to the second piece of the two. Oh, oh, yeah, we have another one here. Can do that. I, you know, I, I'm really, com- I find I really like his creature designs. Yeah, I, I especially like the, um, uh, the alligator dude on the right. I think the textures on that are phenomenal, and you know, he's obviously really studied what this kind of creature looks like. He's got the membrane in its mouth. You know, mm-hmm. his mouth is open there. I mean, last time I drew an alligator, I didn't look it up in Google Images, and it looked like some, like, demented uh, um, lizard-slash-bird thing. Mm-hmm. This guy's obviously really, I mean, look look at its teeth and everything, and, it, and the way its eyes are, and the wrinkles in its skin, and the different sizes of scales and different parts of it. And, you know, he's got the important parts of it with more detail, and the less important parts of it sort of fading into shadow a little bit and um i i think he's knocked that out of the park and then he's got uh he's got this tentacle beast coming at us um i think i think the tentacles on that thing could be coming at us even more because it looks like um they're all sort of going straight up in the air and then coming straight down well maybe maybe some, if you wanted to push the scale on some of those particularly the farther the most the rightmost tentacle if you wanted to push that even further you could and yeah. bring it, make it larger, for instance, but, but, if you wanted to. But but again, look at the way he's done the claws on it. I mean, oh, he's, yeah. thought, he's thought this out. He's uh, 
he's given it some consideration. Um, he's he's really he's really um sort of um and, and, and like it's mouth and stuff and it's it's got these two rows of little teeth going on and you can see the back of its throat. I mean, he's obviously um really poured a lot of effort into these designs, which are which which especially especially the alligator is it's really beautiful. I'm looking at um, I like that Batrachian face, you know, that Batrachian creature, that tentacle, almost like a tentacled toad. When you think about it, and, and the way you look at the flippers of this creature, and one, if I were going to go after, if I was going to start to critique it, I think we're going to see we're going to see probably some other aspects of what we saw in the first piece, where elements of merging, yeah. where the values of the creature of something in the foreground, or, or will mirror something in the middle ground or background. In some places here, that's, in some places here, that merging is is actually working for the piece, not against it. Yeah. Like on the right hand side of this um, tentacle monster, where it's really sort of melding into the light and stuff, and it's melding into the. I, I like that. That's really working. Um, it's it's sort of a good horror horror picture effect where you know you see this terrible massive creature and it's either um it's either sort of um vanishing into the light or vanishing into the shadow. So you're not completely sure of the scale of the creature, but you know it's big. You know it's bad, and it's it's definitely ugly. <laughs> well, I, I run into an example. I run into um little mergers taking place as an example. Uh, the the left. Its left hand um, arm flipper is intersecting with the tentacle, and it's mm-hmm. they're kind of merging and yeah. creating a uh, not sure where one begins and the other ends. It becomes yeah. there. There's a merger there that needs to be addressed. Yeah, there's that a, one. That that's a place where it doesn't work, but there there is some places where it also does work. Then you see there's a merger happening between the alligator creature, the alligator character snout, and another tentacle in the background, where they're kind of coming together. I think that one's not so bad, but yeah, you're right. They're they're kind of they're starting to uh, meld. You I know? think I think that may also be because we're seeing it significantly scaled down, probably. No, I'm looking I at think, it full size. Um, no, I mean I mean from the original size it would have been painted at, because it looks to me like there's actually some pretty dramatic lighting outlining the alligator snout. So but, when it's when it's printed out, there probably is. Um, quite a, a divide between yeah, yeah well, you're right the, the we're looking at, I mean, we're, granted there's, there's always one can always argue that we're looking at jpegs but yeah. i think what i'm what i'm seeing here is a bit more of a fundamental uh more of a fundamental problem and it's not i don't want to blow it out of proportion it's really just that the, the, the tentacle in the background is merging with that character in the middle ground so yeah. I, I think it just needs to perhaps be uh, uh yeah if the tentacle don't have them overlap in that manner and you'll instantly solve it or you even know. just have the tentacle merge more with the background instead, mm-hmm. um, because you know at the at the base of that tentacle you can see that it's being overwhelmed by the light spilling in from behind, and that's really working. Um, you, and it seems to be sort of receding back into the background, so you could just take the color of the background and scribble over that a little bit, and you know again that would solve your problem too. Mm. Um, make the tentacle a little vaguer, but you've got enough t- other tentacles that we know what they look like. Just the suggestion of the back tentacles is now enough because we can see these front tentacles and we know what horrible, poisonous-looking things they are. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's this that, and then there. I still I I see again that extremely dark um, black mm-hmm. use of sh- color for shadow. Yeah, we've and got it, that going on. So I'm I'm seeing that again. It's, it, maybe it's another example of the uh, of dodge and burn technique for I shading. 
I think at the very, at the very, uh, like around the edges of this picture, that kind of vignetting could be working where it could could actually work really well. Like um, where there's a tentacle coming down and it could sort of appear to just vanish into the water. Um, I think um, having a really dark sort of uh, part around around um, the edges of the circle of light spilling from behind the monster could really uh, it could heighten the horror of this image because you know they're 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 in a little pool of light in an otherwise dark and very menacing place and this thing has just hopped out at them. Mm-hmm. And they're like ah. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think I'd like to see more water spray and uh, dripping water coming off the tentacles for instance and maybe off the teeth of the creature things of that sort things that could uh, further add to that atmosphere that he's shooting for that, lo- that some... wild motion and it looks like this creature just broke the surface and oh my god you know we gotta yeah. we gotta fight to our, save our lives it does have some of that going on a it little bit to, it seems to actually be sort of steaming like it's like mm-hmm. the tentacles are hot and then it's got some spray coming off. But I think, yeah, you're right. There could be a little bit more of that. So. Like you have this stalk of something coming off of in the lower right of the composition. Something is coming out of the water. But I don't get the feeling that it's actually burst from the water. I think it's just still and it sitting there. Be displaced more. And like, don't be don't be afraid to obscure parts of important figures. Um, like I, I don't think um, I think you could even um, you know how the lighting is coming from behind this monster, I think you could exaggerate that effect even more. And I think you could definitely have some water spewing up all around it and over it and um, maybe some of the tentacles um, sort of melding into the background colors a little bit um, just to heighten the drama of it. And, you know, um, as long as as long as you leave, um, as long as your figure drawing is really strong, which uh, it is pretty strong here, there's some um, there's a little bit of anatomical issues here and there, like in the left hand figure, the fellow with the hammer. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at his triceps muscle, and it's kind of disappeared. I know there are mm-hmm. little things like that, but that that's stuff that's relatively easy to fix. Just da- you know, grab a book on anatomy, and you'll have that settled and in minutes. And that's sort of uh, that's sort of um, I'm not really quite on my point anyway. I'm, the point is, as long as your ana- your anatomical drawings and your creature drawings and so forth are, you know, strong enough that we can read the character. Oh yeah. Even if there's you know some of it missing, which I think it is. You know, you can do stuff like having really really um strong and powerful environmental effects like spraying water and oh yeah. Uh, you know um you know dust flying, rocks falling, everybody dies. And, and you know tentacles flying everywhere, and, and you know obscuring parts of the characters. As long as the figure drawing underneath is strong enough that, from the parts of the body we can see, um, the, how the rest of the body hangs together makes sense. Yeah. You you can go a little crazier. You really can. I yeah. promise. Yeah. One of the things I one of the things I'm liking in particular is I think that Preston does pretty good with um, edge control. You know, mm-hmm. where some edges are quite hard and others are have been allowed to soften. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it helps to alleviate that pasted-on look that many artists seem to achieve. You know, My where, head is pasted on, yay! You know what I'm saying, though? Where we have this, uh, it looks like they clearly dropped a figure that they painted from another file into it. It just looks like it was just slapped in there without any real... Uh, not paying attention to the light source and the colors and the scene and all that. You know, everything just looks like it's one layer upon the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's uh, successfully handled some uh, edge control here, and there's motion at work here. 
there is. I mean, this this picture is. I, I think I like the second one even more than even more than the first. It has it has some it has a, so many good things going for it, and I love that crocodile mm-hmm. character. And you know, I, I like that scientist looking dude uh, wave, brandishing a spike in the background. The one with the spectacles. Or wait, is he wearing spectacles? No, no, that's a bone in his nose. He's a native looking character. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at this on my iPad. It's pretty small. I saw, <laughs> I saw, I saw like a fighting dork with a pair of spectacles, and I was like, "Go, little dorky guy, go!" <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe I'm, I'm identifying with yeah. that character a little too much. So you know, there, there's some some anatomical things going on with some of the humanoid characters, but I mean, it's not. I mean, there's a certain amount of consistency there, and I think it just a quick reference in a book or or just in photo reference will solve it real quick. Yeah, I think I mean, he, it, Preston it, it has just, the chops to fix it quickly. You know, I mean, this yeah, is some. This is some. I, I, I mean, the the, um, the the um alligator thing is so well observed that um I think what may have happened is when he draws a human, he's like, oh yeah, I know what a human being looks like, so he maybe doesn't look at a human being. So he's um drawing from memory, and maybe his memory isn't a hundred percent accurate all the time. But he's obviously capable of really good observation from how he's uh, come up with his creature designs. So, um, yeah, that should be really easy for this guy to fix. Yeah, and he's got some really good expression in the faces. I think he's got some good expression in the faces. He does. He does. That is definitely. And even the non-human faces he's managed to put an expression onto. And, uh, you know, that's a difficult thing. I mean, I remember from one of our critique shows where we were critiquing our own work. Um, uh, that was one of my downfalls. Um you couldn't. You guys couldn't tell whether Mr. Mole was afraid of the wild woods or laughing at them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know, I I think it's, it's it's you know a pretty big feat when you can take a totally alien-looking thing like a crocodile or this um, sort of fishy-looking thing in the background, and you can make it look aggressive, or you can make it look angry, or you can you know you can give it a, sort of an anthropomorphic expression on it. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's really um good stuff from that point of view and again it looks like it wasn't an easy brief. There's uh five moving characters in here, and there's interaction between them. I mean it looks like uh the guy with the hammer is sort of uh looking out of the side of his eye at the guy with the sword in the foreground and pointing at the monster and he's giving him some sort of instructions. Then then the guy I thought was a nerdy scientist. He's sort of doing his own thing. While this uh, crocodile guy is uh, shouting to everybody while he's steaming right in. And then this fish thing is just attacking everybody with his nasty tentacles. And he's got, he's really got the interactions between the characters and it tells a story. And that is, that is something that's, um, that, that takes a lot of practice to get it right. Yeah, I'm getting the feeling that uh, Preston is not somebody you can, you don't have to fear to hand him a, a complex brief. He'll, he'll do what he can to knock it out. You know, yeah, I think he he's he's put a lot of effort into these pieces. Yeah, like if I was an art director and I had to, and I I needed somebody to draw, um, you know, a, a big battle or um, an underground or you know something with some really weird characters in it, I'd definitely look look up this guy's portfolio and I, I'd be like, yeah, I want you to draw, you know, a bunch of giant marsh zombies with fish heads getting attacked by. Uh, Vikings and pirates. Yeah, man. You could hand him a brief. It's just out of control, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll I mean, make it work, you know. Yeah, and it seems to me, just looking at these pieces, it looks like this guy's been given some really specific and quite difficult um, briefs, and he has uh, 
not only um, not only has he uh, drawn what he was told to draw, mm-hmm. but he's he's put in a real effort to um, put some uh, you know put some fire into it um, and really make it make it a make it a um, a work of art that's going to be um, not only a good illustration but uh, something that's interesting to look at all by itself. So yeah, I think uh, definitely hats off to him on on, on his ability to. To, to do some really tough scenes. Yep. So I mean, all those things said, you know, you've got some strong stuff going here. I, we've, there are certain technical things that can be addressed, and we've talked about them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, he's got some really ambitious work, and I look forward to seeing more. Yeah. I mean, you know, anytime when you're doing ambitious work, I think this goes for anybody. Um, you, you know, uh, you, you sometimes sometimes uh. You know, it's hard to keep all your ducks in a row. It's hard to keep, you know, the simple things in mind. Like when you're when you're doing a picture that has a ton going on in it, it can be easy to forget um, things like uh, laying out the perspective properly for the background or um, uh, where what lighting is going where. I mean, it can get really you can be you can feel like you're really in the thick of it, you know. Like you, you can feel like you got a million things going on, and it's really quite overwhelming, and you can't work on the entire picture at once. So you can get sort of compartmentalized into into little pieces of it, and and you know you can, you can get very overwhelmed. I think this guy has has handled that very well. He's he's really uh, yeah, well done, dude. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, that all that said, I think, uh, thank you for submitting this stuff to us, man. It was a, it was a pleasure looking at them, and I'm, hopefully we had some useful things to say. And, uh... The Ninja Mountain Podcast. We come within 50 feet of your ears, despite the restraining orders. I think we're coming up on the end of this episode. Yeah. But um, is there anything you want to share with, your, uh, with the listeners? Anything you're working on before we go? Oh, what am I working on? Um, I'm working on this. Um, I'm working for on a proposal for a project that I may or may not get. Um, I've been uh, sort of approached, but uh, it's kind of a. I got to write a proposal, so I'm working on a proposal mm-hmm. for for a project that's maybe or maybe not, and I probably shouldn't say too much about it because I haven't signed anything yet, and. I don't know what the non-disclosure agreement will be like if I do get it. I don't want to sort of, I don't want to sort of ruin a potentially really good job before I even get it. Oh, fair but, enough. But I'm I'm working. I'm definitely working on something interesting, um, and I have um, some little uh, spot illustrations of I think fifteen or twenty of them that I'm doing over the next couple of weeks. And um, I also just submitted a ton of portfolios around to different art directors looking for more horror work so hopefully there will be more horror work for me and from me sometime in the near future yeah there you go i just uh, wrapped up an assignment for shadow run and i've got some more work to do for a uh, couple some other more color work actually what i'm handling oh way to go i know you wanted more color oh yeah always looking for more color work you know it's good fun good fun so i'm, I'm happy to be uh moving right along with that I've actually been per- trying to persuade people that they want black and white covers lately. <laughs> <laughs> so Think how unusual it would be, so eye-catching. So far, my success in that department has been quite limited, but, um, you know, um, I've seen black and white covers be very effective. So, mm-hmm. 
maybe I'll have some luck eventually if I keep bothering people consistently. <laughs> Go. Yeah, keep keep chipping away at that stone. I am. I am not giving up on that. Um, I think that my persistence will bear dividends eventually. Oh, black and white can be very compelling if you know, when when I think when handled correctly, you know, when you employed for for book jacket design and all that. Yep. It can be handled very well. Mhm. But uh, yeah, I don't think you'll have that much that hard a time selling it. Keep uh, keep pushing on it. Yeah, I'm gonna just keep at it and see what pops up, and um, hopefully I'll have plenty of work to see me through the lean, lean winter of coldness and rain. Oh, you know, before we go, we really should talk about the new blog. Oh, yeah, and the forum and shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, the forum. (laughs) Yes, yes, we finally have that up and running. It's ninjamountain.org. And uh, we, we finally have put our forum together. We've got... Um, we're just starting to populate it at the moment with people and posts and stuff. So, um, there's that. And, uh, you should stop by, register, share some art, uh, give us ideas for our show. Um, and we have sections for all the usual stuff, finished work, works in progress. You can get critiques, uh, from the actual ninjas, um, possibly. And, uh, you can, we have a Dropbox thread where you can submit your art if you want it critiqued on the show. We're going to be trying to do more critiques, so mm-hmm. um, definitely, definitely submit to us. Um, we got a thread for suggestions for the forum and for the podcast. And uh, basically, if you want to talk to us, um, going forward, our forum is going to be the place to do that. Oh yeah, it's going to be. A, I think it's going to be a fun place. We're going to let it. It will grow with time. We'll have. Yeah, we do want. We are looking for feedback from listeners um, each episode will have its own thread within the uh, in the forum for discussion uh, there will be a place where you can drop uh, suggestions a place where you, uh, as we already pointed out there will be a place where you can submit artwork for possible uh, criti- uh, critique and you know, there's, there's a go- I think we hope it's going to be a good place for folks to come and chat with us and with fellow listeners and to yeah. be a part of the show and we're definitely going to be, you know, active there so that, uh, you know, if you if you want to come and talk to us, we will be there for you. Yep, and I will um, I'll make sure the links are in the show notes. And uh, at the moment, I'll probably continue to post on ninjamountain.blogspot.com at the same time as the new uh, blog site for ninjamountain.org. Cool. In case people are not quite yet ready to, to log into a... Uh, into a forums because at the moment uh, all uh, people who enter the, the site have to go through quick vetting just for um oh oh yeah we should mention the whole spammer thing um oh yeah we got we, clobbered we, with spam that we've yeah, since resolved we, said, we had like t- tens of thousands of spam threads going on and uh we had to do a mass deleting and banning of spammers so um if you if you have already registered for the forum and your account has been deleted or banned. We are very sorry about that. Um, you are welcome to sign up again, but uh, all you need to do is just uh, await administrator approval um, because that is to keep the Viagra spammers out. Um, or uh, Vigara. Or Cialis. Yeah. Or Cialis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all those various permutations that are trying to trump. Yeah, and basically, um, it's a little bit annoying, but you only have to do it once. 
Um, you, you sign up, you sign up, we approve you probably within the day. And uh, then you can post on the forum as much as you like. So uh, that's, there's that. And if you have any trouble signing up, like if we accidentally banned you and your IP is banned, just let us know and we will do whatever it takes to fix that. And blame Jeremy because all those will be coming through me. <laughs> yeah, blame Jeremy. It'll be all my fault. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so please head on over to ninjamountain.org. And uh, I guess uh, we'll take this opportunity now to cue the musication. Dun, 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 dun. Take us home, so car, sing it, sing it loud. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, uh, I don't sing. <laughs> Me neither. But you you tried, and you get points for trying. Yeah. Oh, don't we have to do the outro? Well, they know who we are. They've been listening to us for the past hour. You know who we are. Yeah, this has been Jeremy and Sokar. Oh, it's them. Yeah. Oh, good. Jeremy and Sokar show. I think we actually did pretty well for it being just us. We didn't do too badly. We didn't do too badly. 